0: Now yeah, am I on the lights? Can you hear me? Yeah. So cool. Now Beck's coming back. She'll um. Yeah, it's nice to be with you today. Um, thank you for your yeah for welcoming us. We've enjoyed um, coming, and it's been yeah a good time of worship this morning. Thank you. Um. Now first up, what I'm going to say is, uh, we serve in the country of Georgia, which is in the ex-Soviet Union, and so in the ex-Soviet Union, um, the people that do go to church, they really love church. And it's not uncommon for church to go for two and a half, three, three and a half hours, and you normally don't just have one sermon; you have two sermons. And so, we've got you a little bit of a taste of um, of that today. We're having two sermons for you today. Now, it's not un- when I was in in church in Georgia. Sometimes after about two and a half hours, and the guy sermon number one, he sat down, and the kids are in Sunday school, not really coping. And you think, all right, we're going to bail now. I'm not going to see at the end of this one. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll try to finish a bit quicker than two and a half hours today. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, Rebecca and Matthew we are, and, uh, we serve in the country of Georgia, as I said, there's a photo of Georgia, we serve with the, um, Australian Christian Church's International Mission, so what was the AOG, AOG, uh, World Missions is now ACCI, and I'll, hang on, I'm on, here we are, and... I'll just, just if you don't know, with the country of Georgia, you don't know where it is, I'll just cover that just in, so you're not sitting here the whole half an hour uh, thinking about what we're talking about. And so this map sort of shows where we are in the world. And so I like this map because it really just shows the, the, some of the surrounding region and the, and the part of the world that we are in. Uh, Georgia is close to Europe, but it's not in Eastern Europe, and it's close to Central Asia, but it's not really in Central Asia either. So it's in a region called the Caucasus. And, uh, next to Russia and Turkey and a lot of uh, um, countries, Muslim countries, which are quite close to the gospel. And so in that sense, uh, we see Georgia as a country where you're quite free to do to, uh, ministry in some senses. And so we see Georgia as really a, you know, a key country in that region, a country which is open to the gospel. Um, and there are not a lot of born-again believers in Georgia, uh, even though they do have a, a big Orthodox church. And so uh, as our, our mission, we see... Uh, Georgia is a, a key country in that region where people can be raised up, where leaders can be raised up um, from, from in Georgia to reach, their, to reach the region and their nation. Uh, this map also shows, yeah, some of the, the different people that we interact with. You know, in, in the country of Georgia, we have a lot of people from the ex-Soviet Union, so we have friends from Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, and, and not up there is um, Ukraine and Belarus. Yeah, so it's uh, a lot of different languages going on and different, different ethnic groups and um, people. In Georgia we work with Teen Challenge, so you, I'm sure you've heard of Teen Challenge in Australia, it's very well known. And so Teen Challenge is, these days is a global organisation, you know, started back in the 1960s in, in New York, in America, but these days is in 110 countries with 1,100 Teen Challenge programmes around the world. So our group, our team, we work with Teen Challenge Georgia, that is our, um, the organisation structure that we have in, in Georgia. And you probably know, you know, Teen Challenge is very much a a Christian organization. It's a faith-based organization where, you know, it's for helping addicts, people with substance abuse, life-controlling addictions, who come in and um, encounter Jesus. It's you know, it's about you know people having their lives transformed by encountering Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and so through that, um, you know, the power of that having their lives transformed. And as I've got up there, you know, Teen Challenge we, we help people become mentally sound emotionally balanced, socially adjusted, physically well and spiritually alive. And so Teen Challenge, I'll give a couple of photos for you. Yeah, see the, uh, Teen Challenge has been in Georgia for about seven years and we have a men's rehab in the capital cities which been, has been running for that time. And on the top left is uh, one of the cohorts of the, uh, the, the men's rehab there. And the man on the top right, his name is uh, Quanish and him and his wife, Medina, from Kazakhstan. And so Teen Challenge Georgia is an outreach both of Australia and also of the, uh, the Assemblies of God Church in Kazakhstan. And so they are missionaries sent out from their churches. Connish uh, used to be a drug addict, went through the Teen Challenge program, yeah, his life transformed and then felt called to be, to be a missionary. So they're actually our leaders in our team. And, um, and some other photos of, of guys graduating. This guy in the middle, Levan, yeah, previously homeless on the street, just an, an alcoholic, his life was a complete mess and then, yeah, it's been completely transformed and he's now one of, our, one of the leaders, sort of the assistant, assistant leaders in the, in the program currently. Uh, Rebecca and I live in a different city, which is uh, close to the city of, we live in, in a little town close to the city of Batumi. Batumi is on the Black Sea right next to Turkey, if you can see that little map, so it's, and there, and here in this, in this area, Teen Challenge is building a new women's centre, we're about ready to open that centre later this year, so the last couple of years have been a, uh, a slow building progress, um, but we're you're working towards um, opening that new women's centre, which is going to be a centre for, for women who've been rescued from difficult situations, maybe from trafficking or from abusive situations. And often, drug addiction, uh, alcohol are often mixed up in that as well, and, so, and that's part of the role of that, uh, that centre. Yeah, the top two are, yeah, so the top two are, yeah, Russia, you can't actually go, if you visited Georgia, you can't go there because the Russian army have got a big fence. Yep, absolutely. But not the bottom left, the bottom left is, is for a different reason, that's the, the province that we're in. And so, yeah, and so in that new women's centre, Rebecca's going to have a key role in in uh, teaching English and also coordinating the training that they do because in all the Teen Challenge centres, they do a bit of voc- vocational training, focusing on on providing uh, opportunities for a new life after, after the program. And so Teen Challenge, it's very much a, a discipleship-based program. You know, that when people come through, that we don't just drop them off the other end and just and let them go, but it's, but it's about investing in lives and in seeing people transformed, and then those people go on to help transform the lives of others. And so many of the leaders that we have in the program um, come out of, come out of the, um, the Teen Challenge program itself. And Teen Challenge Georgia, you know, we have, it's a, it's a, a rehab organisation and that's the main thing we do, but we also have mission really at our heart and evangelism and um, for the families of the, the students in the program and also in the community around us are very much our, our heart. So evangelism and discipleship are really at the centre of um, a lot of what we do. So Rebecca and I have been in the country of Georgia for about two years and it's been a time of foundation building is a country where they don't speak a lot of english so we spend a lot of time uh, as a family really all of us uh, learning a new language because we're you know we're committed to being there long term and that involves communicating well with with people it's also been a big time of transition for the kids and honestly that you know some of them have been the hardest things it's one thing when you're going through challenges and cultural stress and things but it's also when you've got three kids that are in a school where it's hard to understand what's going on so yeah continue to pray for the kids you know, in many ways they've done well, but, you know, there has been quite a few challenges along the way. We're, you might have heard of the concept of third culture kids, you know, missionary kids that uh, don't feel at home in any culture because they're, you know, they're different there and they're different here and, and that. And so because of that, we really felt that we wanted our kids to be connected in with the local community and culture, and so we put them into a Georgian language school, and that's actually been the village school just down the road um, from where we've been living. So that's some of the photos you can see there. You know, and in, and in many ways it's really been vital in us integrating into that community. Like, the kids are really well known there and they know all the people, you know, all the kids in there in our little area. And it has been just a great way for us to connect with that community. But it has come with, it hasn't been easy as well. Uh, I'll just go to the next one. Yeah, the top left you can see, I think, a birthday party with some of our neighbours. And that lady there is... Um, A lady called Ia, she's a a language helper. So her and her family, her son is actually Samuel's best friend. You know, they just get on like a house on fire and they just are always playing. And um, yeah, that family is, yeah, one of our, you know, one of our best friends in that little community. Uh, We have a a language learning method where we don't use a formal teacher, but we're just in in our neighbor's home two, two and a half hours every day practicing language. That was a lot for our first year. It was like that. And so EA has been our, our key language helper, helping us to learn the language, and also also helping the kids as well, but they've been in, in school you know, every day of the week in Georgian. Language learning certainly challenges you, you know, puts you right back uh, as a child, unable to communicate, learning completely from scratch, and challenges, you know, you, you get, you're an adult and you think, you know, oh, I know what I'm doing in life and I could I've succeeded at this and I, you know, you know who you are and then you get put in a culture where you can't communicate whatsoever and you have to feel like a baby again. So it really, yeah, it does challenge you. But um, it's been good, you know. And this, this method, one of the goals of it is that you're building relationship and not only learning language. And we've definitely seen that with the, uh, you know, there are, we live in a, um, a Muslim village and a lot of our neighbours would identify as, even though they don't, they don't really practise their faith, they identify as, as, as Muslim and they're not Christian um but you know but they're open to some things and so during our language learning you know eventually we got on to reading some simple books and we and we bought a children's bible and so we had ear reading the children's bible with us and we actually went the entire way through the children's bible and rebecca came home one day she was like oh i felt like he was preaching to me today because she was, she was telling his story about jesus and she's saying oh, no, i'm not small not like this it's like this and she was just reading straight out of the bible and so putting um god's word you know into the mouth of a, a muslim neighbor was quite quite amazing uh, one of the other things we spent a lot of time in the last two years doing is something that we didn't expect. Um, we've been involved quite a lot in a, an English fellowship in a nearby city. You know, we were been learning Georgian, and so it wasn't something that was on our radar, but about the same time we arrived in Georgia, an American man started a small uh, English fellowship. And it came at, at a time, we have be, been in the country about three months and trying to you know stick at it with going to Georgian church where we didn't understand anything at all and there wasn't any translation for us and the kids hated it because they were all five days at school already um yeah but we really saw God's blessing uh, in that church and and we can see God's hand in that that you know quite a few people have been brought in and later on Rebecca's going to be sharing some some testimonies about you know you might have heard if you read our newsletters this a young boy called Mick who came along and yeah He's actually in the middle of that photo, but I've blacked out his face um, cause for security reasons. But you can't see him there. But um, yeah, we've really seen God's hand in the in the in the planning of that church, and it's really been a blessing for us, especially for the kids. In um, yeah, giving them yeah just a bit of um, a place where they can be themselves, and and um, a bit of respite, I guess, from the from the everyday of being in a, in a difficult environment sometimes. And that church is, is, has been interesting as well because the city of Batumi has 200,000 people, but if you don't speak Georgian or Russian, there's no church for you to go to on a Sunday. So it's the first English-speaking church in that city. And so anybody that's visiting from another country, anyone from Iran or from Turkey, anyone from, that speaks English, there's nowhere for them to go to church. So, yeah, we really see ourselves as, as reaching that segment um, of, the, of the population in the city of Batumi and I've been involved in, in preaching and leading worship, and the top left is a picture of the uh, youth group we've been running, and Rebecca's been uh, teaching, you know, playing English games and things like that at the, at the youth group. What's next? Oh, yeah. And um, so we've been back in Australia about a month, and yet, honestly, there have been a couple of different challenges along the way that I won't go into all of them, but um, we came back a month ago, yeah, feeling fairly spiritually low and, from a few different things but it has been a a time of refreshing being back in Australia and particularly you know we've seen God's hand on that and bringing people along across our path who could um, speak words of of encouragement words of prophecy into our lives and I'm going to share a couple of those this morning because they're encouraging for me but I think they also um, they tell a bit about what we do and then also there's a scripture that I think applies to all of us so, the two prophecies that we had, um, the first was from a pastor friend uh, a few weeks back. And his word was that you know, our next turn going back into Georgia would be a time of, of continual foundation building. That we have been doing that, building this foundation from which we, you know, a work will be built. But that we'll be going back and it may be you know redigging some foundations and maybe even redoing things like we felt like we've done, done already. And uh, especially for the kids, that it would be a time of building. A digging a foundation for them and for their life and they're in Georgia and yeah we really that just lined up with what we've been thinking especially for the kids part of that's going to be uh, we're going to transition them to a different school um, still, still in Georgian but um, a different school in the city which probably was going to be a, get them a bit more help and we're going to yeah probably have to raise a bit more finances for that but yeah we really see that God's, God's leading has been on that you know, even bringing a new principal to the school just as we were interested in, it. and a born again Christian from overseas who's come to be the principal of that school. Yeah, and so we can really just see, see God's hand on that. Um, the, second, the second prophecy we had was uh, the second Sunday we were back in Australia, and one of our, uh, someone who knows us quite well, came up and she said, Yeah, I felt like God had a, a scripture for you. And she said, oh, It's the one, in, the one where Jesus says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone but if it dies, it bears much fruit, and I was standing looking at her, and I thought, hmm, good, yeah, <laughs> you know, you get a scripture like that, and you're like, yeah, good, good, yeah, that's great, <laughs> but no, seriously, the, um, it was something that, as soon as she said it, I thought, yeah, that's that's a word for us, and then I'll go and explain it in a minute, but um. Yeah, I just want to actually spend some time looking at, at this passage and, and um, looking, you know, because it is an important one and Jesus talks about, you know, the characteristics of people who would follow after him. And so, how about we just pray and then we'll um, read the scripture. Lord God, thank you for, for your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that encourages us, Lord God, that uh, is involved in our lives and speaks into our lives, Lord God. As we open up uh, your word today lord may you reveal truth to us lord god as i share may everything that is true lord god be um stick in their minds lord god and things that are not from you you know fall away lord god so just be moving lord as we as we read your word today amen so it's from john uh, 12 starting in, in verse 20 now among the greeks there were those who went up to worship at the feast among those who went up to worship at the feast were some greeks So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Now firstly, I want to say, um, my background before we were in mission, my background was in agricultural science. So, um, so seeds and plants, and this scripture is actually something that I've thought a lot about. It's, a, it's an interesting verse, because most of us would know that when a seed goes into the ground, and before the plant grows, and before it germinates, it doesn't actually die. So, you know, what happened here? Did, did Jesus just not know his science, and did he get this wrong? Is, you know, is the Bible technically incorrect here? Um, initially, this is something I've, I've thought a lot about. And... Um, <laughs> And I think the answer is no, and I can tell you why. You know, although scientifically a seed doesn't die when it germinates, there's a real sense in which a seed dies for the plant to live. You know, the seed has potential, it has these stored reserves, it represents potential life. But the seed in itself is not the new life. And then even the only way for the plant to grow is for the seed to cease to exist. It has reserves inside that are digested and they become food for the developing seedling and once but once the plant is growing there's only a shell of that seed left it can't carry on being what it was before it can't hold on to its old life and therein lies the heart of the of of this parable i guess little parable and what jesus goes on to unpack what he's talking about is has been talking about being willing to die What's also very interesting about this passage is the context. You know, we read at the beginning that it was about these Gentiles, these Greeks, that had come to see Jesus. And so these are not two stories that are just next to each other. This is, this is just one little passage where, where they, the Greeks come and they say, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus says, ah, the hour come has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, you know, and now it's time for me to die. You probably the people that hang around with Jesus probably sometimes in another time you'd shake your head and you'd be thinking this guy this guy's a bit strange like no, no some people are coming to see you Jesus he's ah oh, now it's time for me to die like what like like really that's there's a direct link there you know it's not a these aren't just um, next to each other you know we know from Jesus' earthly ministry that it had been intentionally restricted to the Jews Jesus said I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. You know, he knew that that on earth, on his earthly mission before he died, that that was his ministry. But also, make no mistake, Jesus knew that his life had worldwide significance. He knew that the good news would spread throughout the whole world. We read that in Mark uh, Mark 13, Matthew 24. He knew also that many would come from the east and the west to sit at the table in the kingdom, in Matthew 8, verse 10. But then the, the Greeks inquiring about Jesus... It seems like it was a signal to him that his ministry to the Jews was coming to an end, that it was soon time for him to die on the cross. We see, you know, that the... the, the, We see from Jesus' words that this worldwide mission only makes sense in the context of his saving work on the cross. So really... the. You know, a key idea in this passage is how will God's plan of salvation for a people from every tribe and tongue, how will that be achieved? And related to that, you know, for Jesus, where will his greatest fruitfulness come from? Jesus saw his mission before him. He knew he was literally going to die. Like he saw that at the end, his soul is troubled. He, he wasn't joking around. He knew what was going to happen. And so he was going to die and it was not about holding on to his life for himself jesus knew that the true plan of god for his fruitfulness in his ministry was going to come through him dying and it was Jesus' choice to humble himself to death on a cross and it was about giving up every other option for his life these greeks were interested in in him he could have had worldwide significance maybe in there in his own day in his own lifetime he could have been maybe someone important admired by the cultural elite But what does Jesus say? In effect, he says he cannot love his life so much that he's not willing to give it up according to God's will. These Gentiles offered him a new opportunity, but Jesus says no. For Jesus to follow God, he needed to hate his life in this sense. Jesus' greatest fruitfulness and the fulfillment of God's plan would come through not holding on to his life too much submitting himself to death on a cross you know maybe to an outsider it would look like hating his life willingly sacrificing his life but of course jesus doesn't stop there so this idea obviously is about jesus but straight after that jesus but jesus says if anyone serves me he must follow me if we are to be a servant of christ if we are to achieve the most fruitfulness maybe especially in the area of bringing others to salvation then we also need to die to ourselves. Jesus says, if you love your life here in this world, you will lose it. Or rather, if you delight in your life here on this earth more than in God, you will lose it spiritually. Rather, he says we need to hate our life. This is the same word in in Luke 24, where Jesus says you need to even hate your own family to be his disciple. So it's not holding on to your life and your family more than God and more, more than obedience to Him. You know, this isn't easy. This is not even really logical to our human reasoning. We like to talk about life and, and good things. But, you know, this is not a human idea. This is God's idea. And this is a command of Jesus to follow His example. And it's also accompanied by a promise that God will honour it. I guess if you flip it around and, and look at it from the other direction, what, you know, what's the opposite of denying yourself and taking up your cross? It looks like self centeredness It looks like pride. It looks like lack of patience. It may even look like the love of money and materialism. And we know that these are things to which God is opposed and, that, and att- attitudes that God doesn't utilise. So we have life in Christ, you know, that's what the Bible tells us. But as a follower of Christ, it's a life where we say no to self centeredness And this is the opposite of what the world tells us, because this is God's idea. Following Jesus means to surrender to God and not live for yourself. And so in the context um, for us, of this prophecy that we receive for me and for us as a family, yeah, you know... We've been experiencing this. And when that lady said that, I thought, yeah, there's been a bit of dying. Um, you know, and honestly, we've been struggling with that. Like, you know, this is a challenge just as much for me as it is for you. You know, I only got this word, you know, a month ago. That, you know, leaving Australia, leaving a fulfilling job back in Australia and lifestyles back here. And being in Georgia where the kids don't have the opportunities uh, that we always like them to have. You know, maybe being in a team where sometimes following, else, some, following someone else's whims rather than, than your own. And honestly, you know, there have been times in the last 12 months, you know, being frustrated about not doing the work that I think I should be doing. You know, I don't want to be doing this, I want to be doing that. And, you, you know, you have some vision of what, you know, your life is about. But yeah, God has been speaking to us in that. And so, yeah, there's been a bit of dying. So this word for us is that we need to trust God. We need to be patient and trust him that he is preparing in us a foundation from which will come great fruitfulness. You know, I'm not big noting myself. We're hardly martyrs for the faith. We have friends who are missionaries in Iraq and they are bombs all around, so we don't have to look very far to see people that give up more than us. And, you know, don't get me wrong, life in Georgia is not, is not that tough. But, yeah, during this, foundation, this foundation-building phase, um, yeah, we've counted the cost. You know, we know what we're giving up. Um, but we haven't yet got to fully building on those foundations yet. So for you also, can I encourage you? You know, what does not loving your life uh, here in this world look like for you? In what ways is, is God calling you to die for yourself and to maybe relinquish things? It's not fun, tell me about it. But the message of Jesus is that's where our greatest fruitfulness will come from. Of course, God promises us life and life abundant, but that life will come through a pursuit of him and not a pursuit of our own comfort and ambition. So be willing to give things up. You know, even good things, even like, oh, well, you know, these are things that everyone else has and I deserve them too, you know, but maybe God, for you, in the, in, the, in the calling that God has on your life, maybe God is calling you to give up some things. You know, is there a new area or activity that God's leading you or prompting you about? Maybe it's one that's going to involve personal sacrifice. But by following Jesus' example, we have, we have this promise that God will honour us for a willingness to sacrifice and God will be able to most effectively use us and that's the most important thing. You know, maybe especially in the area of bringing others to salvation. So Rebecca's just going to come now and um, yeah, share a few testimonies with you, So share a few ways that we've seen God answer prayer and the last couple of years. And there's a microphone somewhere. Yes.
1: Hello. Hi. Um, It's just good to be back here. And I just want to, just before I start speaking, I just want to say a personal thank you to Andrew and Rochelle. Um, It's just been a real blessing while we've been over here to, to keep in contact with them and Andrew, Personally, I've just really appreciated your words of encouragement and um, just um, how you would pray for us. And one of the things when you're over there is, I think you you realise how how little in your own strength you can actually do. And uh, I would certainly get to the point where I felt very much like I was at the end of myself. And I remember just you know you you, you cry out to God and you ask others to pray for you and God moves in amazing ways. And it's not because of what you have done, or your strengths, or your talents. It is God in his graciousness. Um, And I would just like to share three stories. Um, I'd like to share a teen challenge story. Um, Yes, Thank you. Are you doing that? I'd like to share a teen challenge story. I'd like to share um, a sort of uh, the story of personal evangelism, and then also finally a family story. So I'll start with a Teen Challenge story. Um, this, this man on the right we've called Simon just to protect his name and just to be a little bit private. When we first went to Georgia, we met him and his family welcomed us into their home. We got to visit you know, the mountain village that his, um, that his wife was from and it was lovely. He was an evangelist in Batumi. He'd been through the Teen Challenge program and he just was shining with the love of Jesus. But then through some personal life circumstances and some prescription medication, he actually ended up slipping back into alcoholism. So, and then he was quite hardened to, to church and to God, really. And then my seven-year-old son got it into his head that he needed to pray for this man to go back and do the teen challenge program now he'd only met him once but every night I would sit by my son's bed and he would pray for this man and it seemed so unlikely it really did and he would pray every night and we actually got to one point where Matt and I had this conversation and Matt's like you know, this is not going to happen. What's going to happen to his faith, you know, when he doesn't see this answer to prayer that seems so unlikely? And yet, suddenly, God changed his heart. He went back to the capital city, went through the men's um, rehabilitation program and then came back, was reunited with his family and now God is really using him in Batumi to reach out to this slum area He's working in conjunction with a local pastor and some missionaries. They are planning a church there. And you can see that the hand of God is on him as he shares his testimony with others. And I love this story because I think my son had faith where I really didn't have faith. And um, then I also, I remember also, we also asked all of you to pray for him. When he started the program, we asked you to pray for Simon. And I just thank you for your prayers on his behalf. He is a a family man. He has four daughters and a son. And their lives are better because he is back on track with God, you know? So you affect a whole family, I think, you know, when the father comes back to Christ and starts walking with him. So uh, the second story I would like to tell is the story of Mick. Now, again, we have talked about this in the newsletter and it has unfolded and you have been praying and we are so grateful for that, but I'd just like to tell it as a whole story because I just find it incredible how God moves. So one day it was raining, Matt and I were in the city that's closest to us, we were sitting in Dunkin' Donuts and uh, we were praying actually, we were praying that if there was anyone there that God wanted us to speak to, that he would just prompt us to do that. So, at that stage, we didn't know any Georgian, really, and we needed to find someone that could speak English, which is quite rare, really, in and we had a pile of little leaflets for our church, because we do find it sort of easier to go up and start talking to a stranger if you've got something to hand them, a reason. Anyway, Matt was praying, and he felt the Holy Spirit tell him to talk to the boy that was just sitting alone at the table next to us, and so he did, and... That was Mick, and he was 14 at the time. He was Muslim, and he was from Iran. What we didn't know is that his father was a POW in Iraq, and he was quite a violent man. So he'd actually put Mick in hospital before. And so, yeah. So, and obviously, because he was Muslim, Mick was terrified of what would happen to him if he changed his religion, to use his words. But Matt invited him to church, and that Sunday, he came. He came running because he was terrified he'd be late. And he came up the door, and he was just so interested and so, um, so hungry, and yet also afraid of the consequences. And, you know, for us there, we don't know. We really don't know what the consequences are for him. But we just shared with him the Bible, and second week the second Sunday he showed up again and of course we've all we were praying for him we put it all out in the newsletter people were praying for him and uh, the missionary that day decided for whatever reason to do a sermon on Jesus and he put up pictures on the PowerPoint of what people think Jesus might look like at the end of the sermon Mick got up and said, I've seen that guy in my dreams. He looked like me, except his skin was a bit darker. No, sorry. No, sorry. Yeah, his skin was a bit darker. It was the same colour as my skin. And this man in his dream was standing at the doorway, calling out to him in his Iranian name and, and saying some words for him. It was a sort of special message. There were four words. Um, which seemed to us to be about baptism, but calling out to him. And Matt took Mick aside and said, look, here it says in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. And Mick was just blown away that that was in the Bible, that what um, had happened in his dream was there in the Bible. And he was just really excited by that. And then at that stage, though, his parents found out he was meeting with Christians and they got, his dad got angry um, his mum tried to stop him. But still, the next Sunday, he decided he'd been reading his Bible and he decided he wanted to make a verbal commitment to follow Christ. And that was just something he wanted to do. So, he's, he's afraid, like he was. He was genuinely afraid. He was afraid of the government, everything like that. But still, he decided, being a teenager, I think, decided he wanted to film himself while he committed his life to Christ, right? So he's sitting there filming himself and yet worried if the, the government's outside spying on him. So then uh, he st- the next day he said he just woke up and he was just praying to God, to Jesus. He was sharing about Jesus with his friends at school. He was reading his Bible. Um, then he met with Matt um, to do a Bible study and everything was going so well. And then he showed his mum that, uh, you know, him giving his life to Christ on her, his phone. And um, she was very, very, very worried. She was afraid for her son. She was worried about what would happen. So she rang up Matt and uh, her English wasn't so good. So she actually asked, she got a friend to ring up Matt and say, you know, you've got to stop meeting with my son or I'll call the police on you and you've got to tell him he's not allowed to come to church. So, you know, then as missionaries, you're faced with this dilemma. But Matt just said, you know, I'm not going to forbid anyone to come to church. That's not my job. You can you can forbid your own son, but I'm not going to do that. But he did agree that, you know, I mean, he'd only ever met him in public, but he agreed to only meet him with, you know, more people, um, not just him and Mick. Uh, and then Mick, you know, he, he was virtually, he was only allowed to go to school. And, and then he could just only was allowed to go home he was sort of shut up in his room kind of thing. And he he started to get really, really uh, discouraged. You know, this is too hard, this faith thing, it's too hard. And he actually got to the point where he was just, um, he was, he was going to commit suicide, he was going to jump off the balcony. And as he was about to do that, his phone rang. And then I would say, and then as a teenager, he was like, oh, well, I'll just answer this phone call before I jump off. <laughs> so... He answered the phone call and it was his teacher, she was downstairs, she wanted to come up and see him and see his parents. So he didn't jump. And then he also had this, uh, the director of his school rang and just encouraged him to keep following his faith, which is extraordinary because if you're an orthodox Christian, uh, you don't think that uh, our Christian faith is a valid expression of Christianity. So that that was sort of a, yeah, a miracle in its own way. So. Nick persevered with his faith, and then he just he really wanted to be baptised. He was just really hungry. He was asking us, please, can I be baptised? Please, can I be baptised? Please, can I be baptised? So we had this 14-year-old kid wanting to be baptised. His parents hostile. You know, we had to really pray about those things and just have God's peace on doing that. But in the end, we baptised him, and, you know, he brought a couple of friends that, um, that weren't Christian, they came and they witnessed the baptism and it was a beautiful day. But as soon as it was done, his father, you know, had called him. He couldn't come to church. He had to leave had to keep his father happy. And after we baptised him, we actually didn't see him for a little while. He wasn't allowed to come to the men's Bible study. He wasn't allowed to come to church. And, but then, you know, we asked you all to pray. And God just slowly worked to change in the situation You know, he was allowed to go to the... He would go to men's Bible study. Then he was occasionally allowed to go to church. Then he was always allowed to go to church. Then his father would pick him up um, after Christian events. And, you know, that that to me was just incredible, just how they just slowly changed over time. And he even got the courage eventually to tell his father he'd been baptised. And instead of his father reacting violently, his father was fine. And he said, oh, maybe I'll come to church one day. (laughs) So... That's just God. That's really just God. Yeah, it's just God. And then his, his mum came to church. I think more just to check it out, but she was meeting with us. She was friendly, and and that was wonderful. And so, um, and then Mick himself was serving, um, getting involved in the slum area, serving, sharing people about sharing with people about Jesus, and just feeling the Holy Spirit helping him do that. And then his father said, "Oh, I want to move." The family to spain so we were very we were sad about that at the time but his father came to church at least once we got to meet him we got to do a farewell dinner with them where his father thanked matt for just everything uh, thanked us for all we had done for him and then wanted to connect ask matt to connect mick with people from our organization in spain so (laughs) obviously like christian people and then he even, um, he's accepted the fact that Mick wants to be a missionary. You know, Mick's over there. He's telling people at his uh, school about Jesus. He's helping in his church. He's sharing his testimony at church. And it's just wonderful. And you can look that and see, you know, God, we were so privileged to be part of that journey, I think. And just to have have this boy with us with just such a love for Jesus and wanting to come to church and the only reason he wasn't there was because his family would forbid him, you know. And that was just really special. And then finally, I just want to share on a, a personal note. Um, as you know, in one of our newsletters recently, we wrote about how one of our children was really struggling, and we have put them in a school. We had put them in the local village school where they faced a number of pressures, and some were quite genuinely uh, difficult. You know the teacher was expecting him to be able to uh, do the same work as his peers, even though he's only studied Jordan for a year and a half, and he would just work and work and work and work, and in the end, he sort of gave up, really, that it was just too hard, and then he was struggling, didn't want to go to school, really unhappy, and anyway, we we asked you all to pray, and I tell you what, on that Thursday, we sent out the newsletter, it just, it just looked like I don't know we, we just didn't know what else to do really we just asked people to pray and then by the tuesday he was back in school with a really good attitude and I, you can't put anything like that down to anything else than god so i just thank you for journeying with us for praying with us for um, yeah, just for your support we just really appreciate it um uh, Just finally, I just want to say, sometimes, you know, it's hard to ask for help, to say, like, your kid's struggling, you know, things aren't going well. But I do encourage you, you know, if you've got something and you just really need to see an answer to prayer, do contact the prayer group here. Do ask people to pray. Do say, you know, you need help. You know, we're not supposed to do this life alone. You know? So do invite others in. And if you're interested in signing up to our newsletter or getting a prayer card, it's at the back there. And we brought some lollies all the way from Georgia, with some really cute packaging. So grab yourself one of those.
0: All right, come Could you just get that the song? Now something a bit different. I thought I'd um sing for you a song in a worship song in Georgian, and you can um uh, you can if you want. <laughs> you can get them. Josie can sing it for you. Um, yeah, so in Georgia they have their own language, which is called Georgian, and it's written in uh, that script up there. Uh, so, how are you going with that? Um, so, how about you can um, you can learn some Georgian today, and then maybe you can you can sing along with me. I have it. I'll just um, read it out for you first. So, ava shen Sachels. koela metad dasam karo eso and so. Who can find Jesus in there? Can you find Jesus? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, that's it. And Mepe um, is king. So, Jesus, you are the king. I think your worship team is going to come up and um, keep singing, maybe. Or
2: (laughs) morning for coming. As I said, I've been so encouraged and inspired by their, by their willingness to step out and just trust God. Um, that, That, for me, is certainly the message to take away from this morning. Just trust God. If He's calling you to do something. Just trust god if something feels like it's impossible just trust god um thanks guys so much for coming and uh, i just want to pray for us this morning that we would really embrace that lord god we thank you that we can trust you in all things god we thank you for making the breakthrough in some of the things that these guys have faced already in georgia and lord god i just pray that you would help the breakthrough to come lord for those of us today who need a breakthrough too lord God, we just thank you for leading us forward that, Lord, that we not, would not fear about laying down our life. But Lord, it would be a joy for us to come before you to lay down our life that you would bear a great harvest even through us, Lord. Lord, we give up our life to you and ask that you have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand this morning. We're going to finish with one last song and I don't know what it is, so I'm going to hand over to the team.
1: This is our God. Um, opening line of this is um, your grace is enough more than I need at your word I will believe it's um, amazing how God lines these things up the song that I pick you know right at the beginning of the week Monday night Tuesday night um, lines up with the message that you guys of our God.